0: How's it going, everyone? You're listening to Trico Tidbits. That's the show with the terrible name, but the fantastic guest. I'm John Yookeep, and I'm joined today by Senator Josh Newman. Uh, senator Newman serves uh, as the senator in the 29th State Senate District here in Southern California. Uh, he's a United States Army veteran, and he's worked extensively as a community activist and in supporting U.S. veterans as they re-enter the private sector. Uh, senator Newman, how are you doing today?
1: I am good. I wouldn't say this is a, you don't have a bad name for your show at all. It's a fine name for your show. Thank you. yes. I appreciate it, it. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, and uh, an opening question that I'd like to ask is uh, as a public servant, was there a specific event or an influence in your life that, uh, that led you to pursue a life in public service? So that's a good question. So I, I went to, I went to a high school that
1: emphasized Public service, and I think that kind of seeped in. But um, following my graduation from college, I, I served in the, as you mentioned, in the United States Army, um, and uh, you know had a, a actually a you know kind of wonderful experience. I was in from '86 to '90, so I got out before the first Gulf War. Um, but I, 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 you know, really enjoyed being part of something kind of bigger than myself. Uh, and since then, I've tried to apply myself in ways that make a contribution. And, and I would say this is not that different you know serving uh the 29th senate district being a member of the state senate is is a wonderful privilege and, and the, you know i'm always grateful for the opportunity to serve
0: all right well and we appreciate that uh, you're serving the community and uh the state of california just to kind of jump into the the bigger issues here we're experiencing what we would term you know as a housing shortage uh, as well as a, a definite reduction in uh, housing affordability, from your perspective, what can be done at the state level uh, to help address issues like these?
1: So so that is, I mean, that is a good question. I mean, that is, that's kind of the perennial question here in the, the California state legislature. So as you know, um, you know, the state has an affordability problem uh, and that affordability problem is directly related to our inability over time to create enough new housing uh, that different levels, particularly at market rates, uh, to satisfy demand so that the, in California, the supply and demand curves intersect in a way that, that make housing uh, largely unattainable for you know for working class people. And, and so you know to that question, we like, what can the legislature do? Um, the, the couple of things that, that we haven't done that we need to think seriously about doing one, one is about you know rethinking uh, all of the kind of the, the regulatory framework around housing. Uh, that contribute directly to how much it costs to build housing to develop property uh, in California, especially relative to other jurisdictions. So we, we can be very proud in California that we, you know, that we, we're very um, uh, vigilant about protecting uh, the environment, uh, you know, and, and, and a bunch of other kind of progressive ideals. Uh, but that has had the net effect of, of making it really challenging uh, for developers to create housing without it being very expensive. At the same time, uh, land is a finite commodity, right? And and the global economy is incredibly fluid at this point. So you have money from all over the world uh, that is chasing good investments and investments in California real estate are are as good as anything. And so what what we've seen uh, is the value of California real estate and and the costs of developing that into the housing uh, have gone steadily up over the years. And the state has actually contributed to that problem, right? I mean, clearly with some some of our regulations and, and many of them are are, are well intentioned. Uh, so one thing that we need to do there was an act you know passed you know long while ago the California Environmental Quality Act known as CEQA um, and CEQA was you know uh, you know needed in probably the seventies and when uh, we didn't have a really good understanding of, of of the kind of implications or impacts of doing certain things, uh, but that legislation which requires you know substantial investments consultants. Uh, environmental review, creates much longer timelines for the development of uh, of projects, um, is contributing to the cost, right? So that's one thing that we need to do in California is, is take a good, long, hard look at, at CEQA uh, and reform it in ways that makes it easier and less expensive uh, for California uh, to develop housing and for people to afford the housing we develop. Uh, concurrently, you know, California has a, a, a bunch of processes that are legislated in various ways and there's something called the regional housing needs assessment process where every eight years um, eight years six years every every eight years um, you know every municipality uh, is required to take a survey of, of their you know their land and, and, and their zoning and and make an assessment as to how many how many units of housing could be created uh, that's been in place for 50 years. Uh, and over time uh, it's become obvious I think to some of us that that it is not doing what was initially intended it is not creating more housing in fact it's creating significant pressures on local uh, municipalities uh, that that don't necessarily lend themselves to innovation uh, to you know creative uses of property Uh, and so I and a bunch of other state senators have signed on uh, to a request to something called the joint legislative audit committee uh, to take a look at this process uh, and And see if we can't figure out better ways uh, to incentivize the creation of housing by municipalities as distinct from what the RENA, as it's known uh, process does, which is create penalties uh, for municipalities who 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 fail to develop housing. and And all of these things are actually very complicated, uh, but at 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 their kind of core, uh, we should remember that you know if we refer to something and we often do' is to, you know called the California Dream, At the center of that dream is is the the prospect or the the ideal of home ownership for as many people as possible, uh, especially because that is how uh, families create generational wealth. Uh, And if you own property and it moves to the next generation, that tends to create uh, not only equity during the time, but a bunch of other opportunities around it. If housing is unaffordable uh, and you pay rent your whole life, uh, you know, it's very hard for working class families to actually save uh, and, and, and sort of, you know, achieve their goals in the
0: ways that we've always taken for granted. All right. Yeah, uh, agreed completely. And then, I mean, you mentioned kind of what, what, what the pressure that's being put on municipalities more. Um, what do you see as, uh, do you see any give or do you see anything that we can uh, do to uh, solve that situation, like where that line can be put between local control and uh, doing more uh, to address the housing targets?
1: Yeah, and I think you know again this, this is a good question so so you know what we have right now in California is kind of a top-down driven you know set of processes and kind of the strategies around housing creation uh, and and my observation which isn't all that profound is it's you know it's clearly not working very well if you if you know if you've been doing something for 50 years uh you know and it's not working right you should probably learn your lesson and, and so its so it's not uh, and as I mentioned most most of the you know the the, the pressures are Negative, right? The, you know, they create penalties uh, for municipalities whether lose access uh, to to state funds if they don't meet their goals. And, and yet, it's virtually impossible uh, to meet those goals for certain communities. Uh, and there is also this broader question of local control about, you know, every, you know, there are there's one state government. There's there's over 480 cities in California. Uh, they're not all the same. They don't have the same needs. They don't have the same personalities. They don't have the same composition. Uh, and so, you know, if even if you divide them into say four different classes, each of those classes will have, uh, you know, sort of different, different, you know, qualities and probably different opportunities or, or, or assets that they can leverage in the creation of housing. So, so I've always thought we should recognize that. Um, and there was, you know, a program in place for many, many years. It was the, you know, the redevelopment, you know, program process. Uh, and in 2011, uh, the the governor as part of the 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 uh, recession and kind of digging out of that fiscal emergency he dissolved the state and local redevelopment agencies and it was those agencies had substantial leverage uh to use uh real estate in a, in a municipality or in jurisdiction uh, and and secure it against uh future revenues and so it allowed them to do creative innovative things it wasn't perfect uh, and so my my sense is that we should figure out how to replace that in some fashion, to provide positive incentives uh, to cities and, and to, to you know, sort of to regions, to at a minimum experiment with approaches to housing creation, to, to, uh, to zoning, uh, that would lead us to better models uh, that, that would, you know, would go far to solve these problems. And there's a certain irony right now, as, as the pressures on cities have gotten more and more severe around the kind of the negative penalties, We've had substantial surpluses. I know we're gonna to get to that in this conversation over the last couple of years. Some of that surplus money should, have, should be used to create incentives uh, to, to uh, you know, instigate creative thinking among cities to see what they can do with infill housing, with transit-oriented housing. Uh, and, and if we let them, uh, I think they might point the way towards some really interesting approaches.
0: I mean that's really interesting. It's, it's really flipping the script, you know, removing the the penalty mindset and more, as you said, incentivizing uh, just the, the ideas that can come out of uh, multiple people trying to solve the same problem.
1: Correct, and, and so so I you know I think one of the you know one of the premises of kind of the states approach towards cities right now is that you know cities aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Ergo, cities aren't committed to creating housing. Cities aren't committed to committed to innovation. I, I don't think that's true. I mean, I talked to a lot of city council, but that, that is far from true. Uh, but what is what I think is, is more true, as I've said, is I don't think we've given them the tools. Uh, and, and without those tools, uh, you know, the, you, you have a situation where the state is actually in, in terrific shape fiscally, but cities aren't necessarily uh, in such a good position. So, you know, I remember during the Obama administration, they were trying to find better approaches to improving education. And they had something called the race to the top. We should be doing something like that or lots of things like that in California around housing uh, and probably some and solving some other problems, let's see if we can't unleash the creativity and imagination of
0: the people who are actually closest to the problem. All right. And uh, you did mention the uh, the budgetary surplus or the projected surplus. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, he's projected, I think, around 20 billion dollars in surplus for the state of California. You know, just from your from your viewpoint, how can that best be used? I know you mentioned one way, but how can that best be used to solve the problems here in California? So, so,
1: you know, we're in the second year of these really substantial surpluses that actually came as a bit of a surprise. Uh, if you recall, at the beginning of the pandemic, the the expectation was that we were going to have a massive recession, right? When you when, get, you know, this kind of totally unprecedented situation. Presented itself, you know, people couldn't go to work. Uh, you know, a whole bunch of different service-related businesses were, were uh, uh, you, know, you know, had to close because of the threat of this airborne pathogen. Um, and what as, as it kind of worked itself out, it turns out uh, that the pandemic uh, did not create a recession for the whole economy. It's it, there was there's sort of two economies in California. You know, there's the top half of the wage scale, and then there's the the bottom half. At the bottom half a whole bunch of working people who were absolutely devastated, you know, by the impacts of the pandemic. But interestingly, at the top, uh, for you know, for people who could work remotely, uh, who worked in knowledge-based industries, uh, who worked in finance, uh, it turns out they, they did remarkably well. The stock market uh, did, and and company, you know, corporate profits have been just fine over the last couple of years. Uh, and California's tax base is is you know very much skewed. Uh, toward those inputs, right? So we make most of our state revenues from the top half of the income scale, from capital gains taxes, from income taxes paid by by high net worth individuals, and they have done so well over the last two years that the state has enjoyed record surpluses during that time. Um, so on the one hand, we you know we we do have and we have been very uh, you know active uh, at the legislative level, I'm trying to figure out like how can we offset some of the pain. Uh, that that you know that the, the working californias uh, have experienced and so so we've invested some of these surpluses into covid programs obviously necessary to extend testing and then vaccinations to to everybody where where possible uh, but also things like rent relief utility relief for people who are uh, you know whose jobs disappeared for significant periods of time so uh we still have money left uh, and we still have a substantial uh, a surplus moving into this year. So my argument, and I think there's a bunch of my colleagues who agree with me is that, you know, if you think about a surplus as one-time money, uh, we should spend that one of those one-time windfalls in ways that have the highest yield, uh, but also don't incur responsibilities or obligations moving forward for which we might not have the revenue base. And so, uh, you know, things like investments and, and, and expediting uh, improvements in infrastructure, Uh, And I think when it comes to housing, there's a perfect opportunity, Um, you know, seeing what we can't do to jumpstart, uh, especially housing and kind of transit oriented areas uh, in in ways that people have been wanting to do, but for which there weren't necessarily the resources to do Mm -hmm. that.
0: All right. And so and, and we, again, we've talked about housing because that's especially to many of our listeners. That's a big, uh, big piece of the puzzle. But let me ask you, uh, as far as the, the health, long term health of California, uh, let me ask what keeps you up at night, either as, as a big problem or maybe a big opportunity that's facing California in the future, maybe in addition to or besides the housing question.
1: So so one of the things that, that you know, that, that, that concerns me and I, and I hope others is and I've alluded to it, uh, is is the the revenue base for California, right? So we we have a very progressive, uh, you know, taxation structure here, uh, In many ways that's admirable. Uh, but in many ways, it makes us very vulnerable if it, to a downturns in the economy. Uh, and so, if for whatever reason, and one reason could be, you, you know, the, the you know, uh, global tensions around, for instance, the Ukraine war right now, you know, if the stock market were to to really tank, right, and if the economy actually uh, really, were to to take a downturn that impacted corporate profits uh, and high net worth earners, we could go from a surplus situation in California to a huge deficit faster than anybody uh, really uh, wants to admit. Yeah. Uh, and in that event, we would be back to where we were, which was you know which was just challenging. You know, back 2008 to 2011 uh, during the Great Recession, where where California had to make really draconian cuts. Uh, everywhere, to include education, human services, uh, mental health, and a whole bunch of other things uh, that not only have a huge impact on people, but they, they make it even harder for the economy to recover. So that's something that keeps you know me awake, I guess, as, as we look into future legislative cycles, uh, that we can't, because we can't uh, count on these kinds of surpluses, this kind of good fortune, we should really be deliberately not only planning for that scenario, but also thinking through that, how can we make uh, our revenue structure in California a little more predictable uh, and less top-heavy?
0: Mm, I see. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the problems that, uh, I mean, others have pointed out, I want to know if you see any movement among California lawmakers to maybe anticipate this would be the regular question of funding things like public pensions. I mean, is I know that's probably on everybody's mind as well. Do you see with the surplus situation, is there any movement so far to maybe prepare for and make sure those are handled?
1: Yeah, and I, I think I think what you're referring to Josh, is is uh, making you know, effectively down payments on some of our outstanding pension obligations. Uh, and and I think we, you know we've done that to a degree over the last couple of years, and that's uh, I think that was positive. Uh, but but the the uh, obligation for cities, especially, to be uh, you know, so making uh, pension payments, uh, you know, based on kind of forward-looking uh, uh, obligations has had a crowding out effect on their ability to fund local programs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the this, this state, especially if you have surplus, we should do that. There, there's a similar uh, challenge, and I think imperative as it, as it relates to unemployment insurance. Uh, the state, during uh, this most recent downturn, you, you know, drew on the federal trust fund monies uh, to pay out significant amounts of unemployment. Uh, especially for the, you know, again, the bottom half of, of the wage scale when they were out of work. Uh, we paid out more unemployment in a very short span than we had over, you know, years and years and years. And so uh, there's about $40 billion owed by 50 states to the federal government, uh, you know, to, to repay those those loans for unemployment. California owes fully half of that, right, $20 billion. Uh, and so, again, I and others have made the argument that, that we should actually start paying that down Uh, with some of the surplus so that we don't shift the burden uh, for paying that over time to small businesses Hmm.
0: all right i mean so it's it's big uh, some big issues that california is facing uh to take a step back from that if you don't mind me asking uh, when you're not working in that community service uh, public service aspect uh, what do you do with your time (laughs) <laughs>
1: this keeps you pretty busy. Right. So, so the, I, I guess there's sort of two questions, like what do you do and what would you do if you had more time? Mm. Um, and so I'm, so I'm a runner, you know, I wish I had more time to be a better runner, like be in shape, uh, love to be able to travel more with my family and not for work, but for fun. Um, and I have a little boat that I, that I keep down here hunting the beach. And, and uh, you know, I would like nothing more than to have large periods of like, you know, open time where I could go mess around with my boat and take it out of the water. Mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and really relax. Uh, but, you know, I, again, like I, 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 I don't think I've ever had a day where I'm not grateful to have the chance to do this. So, you know, I always remind myself that, you know, you're, I'm committed to a term, right? This, you know, I'm on a four-year term right now. Uh, glad to have this opportunity. My, my obligation during that is to do as much work, uh, you know, at the state level, but especially on behalf of my constituents
0: uh, as I can during that time. So I'll, I'll get to rest uh, at some point later. All right. Okay. Well, we want to thank you very much, uh, Senator Newman, for your time. We have a little tradition on the show. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to throw a, on a share screen. I'm going to throw a quote up real quick. And if you wouldn't mind uh, uh, delivering that quote uh, for, the, for the camera as, as straight or as dramatic as you'd like, uh, I would be obliged to. I'd be happy to, depending on the quote.
1: All right. Here's the <laughs> Oh, Steve Martin. This is awesome. Here's the quote. A day without sunshine is like, you know, night.
0: There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I really appreciate you obliging my little bit of uh, insanity there. And thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. We really do appreciate it.
1: John, thank, thank you for having me. And, you know, glad to do this again. Also glad, you know, feel free to you know send your members my way. Always happy to get their input as well.
0: Wonderful. Will do. Right, thank you. Thank you.